0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Outdoor Edge knows that providing a freezer full of meat is part of the reason we all hunt. And what better way to bring it full circle than to process your own wild game? Outdoor Edge provides a full lineup of traditional and replaceable blade hunting knives and complete wild game processing kits to bring your wild game from the field to the freezer. Visit OutdoorEdge.com and at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30 for 30% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market.
1: Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast. This podcast series aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters, brushing up on essential skills, or adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. We cover a variety of topics that will help you be more confident and successful in the field while hunting deer. In this episode, I'm talking with my buddy Pierce Nellis, head guide of Good Chance Fly Fishing, about what trout fishing can teach you about deer hunting. In recent years, many in the hunting industry have promoted a hardcore, laser-focused, guerrilla warfare style of whitetail hunting. While there's a lot to be said for this kind of intensity, many folks will be well-served by a healthy dose of diversification in their outdoor pursuits. Whether you're hiking, foraging, fishing, hunting for small game, or enjoying some other kind of outdoor recreation, the skills gained and honed in other activities can help you become a better deer hunter. No matter your skill level as a deer hunter or fisherman, there's something in this episode for you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. All right, joining me for this episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast is Pierce Nellis. Pierce, how's it going?
2: Doing well, Josh. How are you?
1: Doing really good, man. Hey, to kick things off, why don't you tell, uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, where you call home?
2: Well, I'm the head guide at uh, Good Chance Fly Fishing. We're uh, an independent guide service focusing on uh, exclusively on trout uh, in the driftless here, uh, targeting on on the fly. But I'm from Blue Mountains, Wisconsin. Grew up out there, uh, a little spoiled with a class one trout stream in my front yard and some pretty awesome uh, deer travel corridors in my backyard. So while we only had five acres, I was... It was, it was pretty much the best five acres uh, a, a young kid trying to enjoy his time outdoors could could have had.
1: <laughs> yeah, so the pictures that I've seen that you've sent to me and stuff with deer and turkeys, is that on that five? Yeah. Dude, that's nuts, yeah. man. That's nuts. Yeah. That's a great five it, acres.
2: Yes, it is. It's. I mean, it. I, I, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but like it – it's just nestled perfectly. We've got like a little hollow that, you know, it's pretty much prairie grass in this little hollow, but then it's just surrounded by this big ring of timber. And then there's a little thicket out in front of, you know, one of my ladder stands and everything. So while we don't necessarily like all the deer we see aren't necessarily on our land at one point or another, they're crossing through it. So it's just, you know, my, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just spoiled. That's the thing. I, <laughs> I, I typically, if I'm, if I'm going to hunt up there and at my parents' place, I essentially wake up, run downstairs, grab a cup of coffee, get on the back porch, throw on all my stuff, hike about 80 yards up the hill and into my stand. So, it's,
1: <laughs> so you're really roughing it, it man.
2: Yeah, man, it's tough. It just gets tough. And, you know, sometimes that trail gets worn down and muddy and it's just, you know, yeah. it occasionally it gets slippery. And You God, need to
1: invest in some really expensive, really light backpacking gear so that you don't have to, <laughs> you know, come out every night.
2: Exactly. Yeah, I'm going to have to get a saddle for uh, my long trek in there and try and streamline my whole kit as much as possible. <laughs> oh, man.
1: Well, I hope that, that listeners are, are just heard you say that, that you're a, a trout fishing guide. And they're like, why in the world do we have a trout fishing guide on the how to hunt deer podcast? Um, and and I'll give a little bit of an explanation. You know, we kind of live in this age where if you just watch hunting media, or if you look at social media, a lot of people and a lot of brands like to portray, uh, this, what Tony Peterson has called the guerrilla warfare, uh, this all out onslaught, this like constant sharpening of the killer instinct 365 days a year against whitetails as if they are like our great enemy that we must conquer. And every day is a new day to make yourself better to take out another whitetail. And, you know, I, I'm not knocking that like super extreme, really intense um, kind of vibe. I mean, like after all, this is a podcast called How to Hunt Deer. Like, this, literally mm-hmm. all we talk about is is deer hunting on this podcast. But I think one of the, one of the, what that's missing out on is the fact that one of the best ways to make yourself a better deer hunter is to diversify your outdoor portfolio, right? That's like true. to, to, to be more involved with more things. And it, and, and I don't think it matters what it is. It, it could be uh, chasing other critters. It could be learning to trap. It could be hiking, backpacking, paddling, fishing, like, like whatever. I just think time spent outside is going to make you a better deer hunter. and specifically. I think that time outside doing things that aren't deer hunting related will make you a better deer hunter. And so I wanted to have you come on and ask, like, do you agree with that? If not, we can just end it here and that'll be it for this week's episode. Uh, But what, what are your thoughts?
2: I agree with that completely. Um, You know, I, I, it, it, that whole principle there kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, I had a coach growing up who encouraged all of us um, to play as many different sports as possible. I mean, he was a football coach and, he, you know, encouraged guys to play basketball, encouraged guys to play baseball or run track or anything like that. And uh, basically because you're working a different set of muscles, you're thinking differently. It's just going to make you a better all around athlete. And I think the same principle applies to the outdoors in the sense that, you know, if you're only focused on deer hunting, you're one, you're missing out on a ton of fun. But, um, I mean, just, you, you see so many different things and there's so many things that you can take from one, you know, that, you know, I can take from trout fishing and I can apply it to my deer hunting strategy or vice versa or, you know, my Turkey hunting strategy. And just, you know, you can, I mean, for one, you, you, you scout, just about everything as long as you're outside and, you know, you can be on a trout stream and kick up a fawn, you know, in some tall grass or hear turkeys gobble or, you know, be hiking into some public land to, you know, call in some birds or hang a saddle set up and you can walk past a creek and take a peek in there to see if it looks fishy. I mean, it's, yeah, I I think you absolutely need to uh, make yourself a well-rounded outdoorsman.
1: Yeah, well, that that's one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on. You know, you're the you're the head guide at uh, Good Chance Fly Fishing. You spend more time on the water than probably anybody I know, at least. Um, but you're also an avid deer hunter. Um, mm-hmm. you, you love the deer hunt as well. So I want to pick your brain a bit about what trout fishing specifically has taught you about hunting deer. So let I, I thought maybe we could kind of kick this off and go maybe back and forth, like what are some of the key lessons that, uh, you have learned from, uh, from trout fishing that you have transferred over to the deer hunting world. And I want to touch on a few of kind of my own as we, you know, kind of chatted a little bit earlier about like how we would approach this topic. And I think we both have some pretty, some pretty good points to bring out here. So, um, uh, why don't, why don't you lead with your, with your first one and then I'll pick your brain on that
2: sure absolutely um well i'm actually going to start with taking some deer principles and how i apply them to trout principles Um, and just in in terms of stealth um a a lot of people overlook the stealth aspect when they're fishing um you know everybody's thinking about it you know how are you going to enter and exit the woods How are you going to access your stand without blowing your scent all over the place or spooking deer and making sure you know you rake the leaves off your entry trail so you're not stepping on twigs or crunching leaves and everything like that um, you know early in the morning or when you're trying to get in there Um, so I mean just I'll say from just like a moving in the woods standpoint I'm just you know kind of perfecting um, I don't think anyone actually has it perfected because we all seem to find a a twig to snap while going in and out of the woods it seems like just about every time but um, you know just really perfecting that that soft, you know, rolling of the foot, you know, going heel to toe and rolling that through the, uh, through the ground. Um, you know, I, I approach that to, or I, I, I bring that with me when I'm approaching water, um, <clears throat> from the, from the deer Woods especially cause, uh, I basically, when you're approaching water, Trout have what's called a a lateral line. Um, You know, if if you're familiar with trout or what they look like, or if you just look up a picture of them, you'll see on the side of the fish running from just behind the gill plate all the way back to the tail, there'll be a a little bit of a line in the, like in the scales. And that is your lateral line. It's basically a, a set of nerves, which will... Um, allow the fish to sense vibration and that can be any sort of I mean they use it for a multitude of things they use it for detecting predators they use it for detecting prey um, they you know they, they use that to sense the vibrations in, you know the, the the current from you know a bait fish shooting by or a clumsy fisherman tripping on a rock and making a big splash in the water and they I mean even all the way to like if you're throwing a, a big big hopper pattern in late August and you just slap them on the water that creates a vibration in the water, which, you know, triggers the fish and says like, you know, they realize, okay, like that could be food. I'm going to check it out. And especially hoppers when they make that nice satisfying splat that seems to uh, really, really draw out the voracious Brown trout. But when you're approaching water, especially, um, you know, really emphasizing that heel toe approach. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people do enough. Um, You know, there's, we we could talk about, you know, casting a shadow and like being mindful of where the sun's at and where your shadow's at, like, is your shadow on the bank where the fish can look up and see this shadow moving, that's going to spook fish. Or if you're casting a shadow over the water, but if you're doing your best to, you know, avoid that, but you're still spooking fish, approach with caution because trout are they're basically i mean they they use that lateral line and as you're especially as you're getting closer those footsteps if you're not careful they send vibration down through the soil and if you've got a a big fat brown trout that's you know laying in a lunker crib tucked under an undercut bank they're going to sense that and they're going to be like okay there's something above me i need to stay put um And that, I mean, that's one thing. And then I I mentioned, you know, just your, like, I mentioned the shadows, but also sort of using, uh, I I guess, lighting and sort of a, what's the word I'm looking for here, like a background to break up your profile is the other thing. From a visual standpoint, trout are always looking off. I mean, I shouldn't say always up, but the way their eyes work is, they're looking forward and up. Their pupils are shaped in an elliptical uh, form, which basically allows them to focus on an entire vertical water column, uh, as well as um, sort of a, a chameleon-type way where they can kind of see things out of both sides. Um, but they essentially are looking into the water to see if there's anything coming towards them, and they're looking up to see if there's any predators above them um and so if you're approaching water like say you're approaching from upstream or you're trying to make your way past if you can do your best to either lower your profile so that you're in a position where you can't see the fish and you know down into the water where you're not breaking that horizon and being this big you know just random shape um (laughs) up above them yeah uh, you're going to spook a lot fewer fish and you know, you can take that same principle, um, from the deer woods to, you know, when you're setting a stand, you want something behind you. You don't want to be on an eight inch. <laughs> you know? I mean, you should, I don't know if I'd want to be on an eight inch tree anyways, but hey, man, you in a saddle, be... you
1: can do it. Come on, come over to the dark side. Use a tree <laughs> saddle. You can do it. You can set up in something, the width of your hand.
2: I know. Well, that's the thing. I mean, the fly fishing gear alone, it's, it's, it's taken up too much of my time. I need to, uh, and I shouldn't say time too much of my, too much of my funds to, uh, <laughs> I need to I need to save up for the, for the saddle life, I think. That's right. But I should say if you like me and you set hang on stands or ladder stands, you want to be on something that's got something that's going to break up your profile, and that especially translates to if you're fishing down or from upstream, you're casting downstream, so you're pulling streamers back upstream, um, you know through a pool or up into a riffle or something like that. Uh, if you can do your best to, you know, maybe put yourself in front of a bush, that's going to do a lot for you um, or have, you know, a bunch of trees behind you. That's just something that's going to break up that profile. That's going to really, really take you a long ways. Um, yeah. I think that's, yeah. Well, my,
1: relating my that, point. relating that back to the deer world there, you know, I think, I think there's a couple of things in that. I think there's that access piece, right? Like just, How you're approaching the woods, knowing what the deer are doing when you're approaching, you know, you talked about what, what fish are kind of doing, you know, hanging out in the (laughs) lunker crib or whatever, you know, down underneath the surface. But, but when it comes to a deer, it's like, okay, where am I going to spook deer from? Well, if you're moving in during the day, that's probably going to be their bedding area. If you're moving in, uh, you know, early in the morning before it's daylight, that's probably going to be wherever they were feeding or where they were transitioning back from where they were feeding to get closer to their bedding area. So you start to say, okay, how can we, you know, how can I minimize disturbance? And I think that heel to toe, you know, just being real careful with the way that you walk. Um, so minimize it that way, minimize it in the way that you set up, making sure, you know, don't be, don't be lit up, you know, don't have the sun beaming on you, you know, yeah. whatever you set up for deer exactly. because you don't want to be glowing. You want to be in the shadows. You want to be kind of hidden. Um, exactly. and I think another piece, like it, just to speak to that stealth thing there for a second, um, You know, I, so I was out rifle hunting last year here in Wisconsin, big tradition, right? Opening day rifle season. I'm on public land. I can see a bunch of pumpkins around me and the one, there's one guy off to my right and I could see the dude never stopped moving like the whole morning long. He's just, he's looking around and he's bebopping and he's, you know, blaze orange from head to toe, yeah. you know, and he's turning his shoulders around and looking all over the place and bobbing his head and putting his arm up and bringing his arm back down and kind of putting his head over to his, you know, hand. And it's like, dude, yeah. you haven't stopped moving all morning <laughs> long. There, Nothing is going to walk past you. I know you've got a rifle and you can really reach out there and touch one, but my goodness.
2: Right. Yeah. <laughs> he, thought, he was just hoping one of the other guys would bump him something, and that'd be that.
1: Either that or the dude was ready for breakfast and wanted to leave. like That, 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 that too. Son, it's <laughs> like, man, he, he just, yeah, but that, that stealth piece, you know, is, is super important. And you learn stealth not just when you're out deer hunting. You mm-hmm. can learn stealth when you're out trout fishing, right? Like Absolutely. It's a, it's a skill. The more you practice it and the more you're aware of it, as you approach a stream and it's on your mind, how do I be stealthy? Well, that mindset then carries over into into the white tail woods. Oh um, yeah, so Absolutely. I I, I want to touch on one thing that I have learned personally from trout fishing uh, that carries over directly into the white tail world, and that is that quality gear matters. Um, oh, cool. quality gear is is huge. So I started out trout fishing with a little Shakespeare kit that I got from Walmart when I was like 15, you know, so it's a 20 year old kit and um, it's been sitting in my garage basically this whole time. And I moved to Wisconsin. I've still got this 20 year old fly kit and I pull it out and I start fly fishing and I'm having a horrible time casting. It's just, I'm just struggling. Right. Then I go with a guide and he hands me uh, all Orvis equipment, you know, Orvis rod, really nice reel really nice line and i get out there and it's like everything just works
0: yep. everything
1: goes where it's supposed to go and it's like well, wait a second okay this is what a good rod is supposed to feel like like this is what yeah. a good line is supposed to feel like um you know we we catch a fish and i start start stripping it or you know stripping the line or bringing the fish in or transfer it over to the reel and everything is smooth there's no weird mm-hmm. like lag to it or anything like that it's like everything is yeah. just right and and man that is something that that so carries over into into the white tail world i mean you can go sure you can go to well i won't throw i'm not going to throw any any companies on <laughs> the bus boy i'll it's it's late at night and i almost got carried away there you gotta <laughs> you better watch me um you can go to some stores and buy you know horrible tree stands and they're not going to mm-hmm. serve you well. You're going to get up in them. They're going to crick. They're going to pop. They're going to, you know, it's going to be bad. I think about boots. Man, you you want to be miserable. Go for a long walk in bad boots. Oh, no doubt. You know, you'll or uh, sit
2: in a stand with boots that aren't thick or insulated enough and enjoy your first 45 minutes. But as soon as those things are sitting on that cold tree stand, great. Oh,
1: that's right. Or, or just bad, bad camo. Yeah. You know, you go out there with, with bad camo, even, even down to your base layers. Like if you, you, yeah, sure. Run around out there in some cotton long johns. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll see you in an hour when you're back because, <laughs> you know, you started sweating and then all of a sudden, you know, you sweated on your walk in and now you're freezing to death because those cotton long johns just turned into an icicle against your skin. Yeah. You know, it's just, makes I remember
2: those days well.
1: Oh man. I did. I did too. You know, growing up in the South, I mean that cotton long johns were like the way to go. But it was also typically, you know, forty-five with a hundred percent humidity on a good cold front day, you know, and so it's yeah. just you <laughs> you sweat anyway on the way in, and it's miserable. So, um, right. but yeah, that that's really all I got on that point. Quality equipment really, really matters. I I learned that experience that firsthand in trout in the trout world, and certainly carries over into the whitetail world.
2: Absolutely, and like, I mean, you can find solid gear at affordable prices you know if if you want to go you know for the top of the line rod yeah it's you know it's going to be it's going to be an expensive thing just like if you would buy a top of the line bow you know brand new you know you name it same with waders same with camo same with you know boots like it you name it it's going to be it's going to be one of those things that's just it's a tough especially if you're getting into it it's a tough i guess i I shouldn't say it 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 creates a, a slightly higher barrier, but it doesn't necessarily have to. I mean, honestly, I know guys who have bought, and I think, <laughs> I, I don't know if we can name drop on here, but the dude bought, I mean, it's, I'm not, I'm not ragging on it at all, but he bought like, I think it was like, I don't know what it was like 15 pieces of first light gear Ugh. from some guy on eBay <laughs> who was trying to sell it. I think the guy said like 500 bucks, or best offer or something like that. And it was the last day of the sale. And I think my buddy ended up getting all this stuff for like maybe 300 bucks. Like, so it it can be done. It can be done. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's true. So thinking back to this rod and reel setup that I was using uh, last spring, when we went with a guide, um, I asked him at the end of the day, I was like, all right, realistically, how much to get into that setup? Because I need it in my life. And uh, mm-hmm. he was like, well, with the rod, the reel, and the line, you're probably looking at 275 to $300. Yeah. Like, that's not – I mean, that's skipping Starbucks, yeah. you know, for a for a handful of weeks or whatever.
2: Right. And you don't have to do it all at once. It could be the kind of thing where you've got a, a, a kit like you have with, uh, you know, the, the Shakespeare stuff. Like, it's, it's old, it's outdated, but maybe you can – you can get by with that reel, but you really want to upgrade the rod. You can go ahead and just get a rod and put your same reel on it. You don't have to, you know, just get new fly line. A lot of times that makes a huge difference. Yep.
1: Yep. For sure. For sure. All right. like
2: updating the bow setup. I mean,
1: Oh yeah. Well, and yeah, man, like that's a, that's a whole other world. Like, and you know, this, this podcast is mostly geared towards, uh, you know, folks who are kind of getting into the hunting world, um, maybe they didn't have a hunting mentor growing up, or people who just kind of want to like brush up on some of the basic things. And that's a big one with bows, man. The the money you can spend for a brand new bow, it's like, dude, buy a two year old bow. Like, oh yeah, buy a two year old bow for five hundred bucks. The mm-hmm. technology you get is fantastic, and you're out half or a third of of the money. You know, right?
2: And I mean, do your research too on on what brands are sub companies of your big top of the line brands. Cause there's a, I guarantee you, if you, if you really look into it, you'll find that a lot of these companies are owned by much larger, more reputable companies. And it's just sort of, you know, technology in those bows from what was the top of the line or the top of the line a couple of years ago. And it's, yeah. it's, that's exactly like you said, It's a great point.
1: Yeah, and you know, that carries over into a lot of other things. I learned last week, I won't say who it is, but have you seen those those cheapo Tasco uh Walmart trail cameras? They're no. like they're okay. So Tasco has a has a trail camera at Walmart. They're like twenty eight dollars. Super okay. cheap. Super cheap. And for me, hunting on public land, I can buy twenty of them. And I don't care when they walk off. Like, I'm mostly upset that the SD card went with it. You know, yeah. <laughs> I don't care that the camera disappeared, whatever. I'm upset that I lost the data. Um, but those, right. I, but I've had pretty good success with these things, keeping on running and taking pictures. And I was talking to a guy the other day, and he said, yeah, that's those Tasco cameras are made by X other trail camera company. And so they're actually pretty, <laughs> pretty good quality. But they come I'm out. I'll ask
2: you for those names as soon as we're done here. <laughs> as soon as we're done
1: recording, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. But it's it's somebody who's known for making pretty good, pretty good uh, trail cameras. Yeah, so, absolutely. But anyway, so that's it. All right. So we've we've hit on stealth in your approach. We've hit on quality equipment matters. What's the next one? Carry over from uh, trout fishing to deer hunting.
2: My, yeah, my next point I was going to uh, talk about was just like scouting for hunting and fishing well, basically scouting for one while doing the other. Um, and I mean, yeah, I'll I'll throw turkey hunting in here too because it's I mean, I can I, I can't even tell you how many times I've been, you know, in a creek, working my way up and there's a little sandbar and it's just covered in turkey tracks. Um Yep. yep. I mean, it's the just figuring out, I mean, obviously we know deer are going to cross in shallower spots but if you're say you're fishing through public land or you're fishing through land that you have permission to hunt on or maybe you could ask and potentially get permission to hunt on it i mean you can tell where there's high deer traffic and i mean i'll i'll be looking for that especially if i'm on public land and you know i'll find where it's really really beat down to the dirt two feet wide going in and out of this creek and you know i'll i'll drop a pin there on onyx while i'm just while I'm waiting up from there and keeping, keeping in mind for October and November. Yep. And I mean, <clears throat> doing stuff like that and vice versa. I mean, like kind of going back to what we talked about earlier and um, you know, just the, the stuff that you'll see doing both, whether it be looking down into a Creek or you're on your way to your, a pin that you drop to uh, hang a stand or, <clears throat> you know, kicking up fawns in tall grass in July on the way to the creek, or maybe if it's, I mean, Wisconsin, where we're at, they they shut down trout season the second week of October to give them a break to spawn. So I guess I'm, I'm not doing quite as much, uh, I guess, pre-rut, <laughs> pre-rut scouting <laughs> on the creeks there, but I mean, turkeys, especially in spring, man, well I'm down there and I'll look for sheds like right now, especially, um, you know, if there's an easement or anything like that, just trying to see if there's stuff that have dropped. But in the spring, especially if I'm on public land, I start hearing gobbles. You better believe I'll be back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so what are some of the things maybe that you're that you're keying in on? I mean, you you mentioned a couple of them there. So you're looking for for tracks in you know the creek bank or whatever, looking for mm-hmm. for crossings specifically, uh, looking for sheds. Any other things that you're like, hey, this is. This is something that I really do key in on as it gets to be. I'm fishing in August. I'm fishing September. Anything sort of that you really start ramping up on at that time of year as you're fishing, looking for deer sign?
2: A lot of times I will carry, as I start getting into, you know, the later trout season here in Wisconsin, I'll start carrying binos with, with me when I'm uh, out by myself. <clears throat> and then just really keeping tabs. I'm like, okay, this looks like a heavy, heavily traveled area down here, or, you know, maybe it is, you know, that last week of or the trout season in October here. And, you know, I start seeing some, some rubs or some scrapes around here. I'll definitely be dropping drop. If that's on public, I'll be dropping a pin there and I'll be back to inspect it a little bit more in detail. Um, especially as we start getting ready to get into bow season there.
1: Yeah. I I was doing a little trout fishing last summer and kind of had the same thing rocking on, right? Like it's early September. And I've got my binos on because I, I want to see what's going on. And along this creek I, I noticed I'm like, oh, there's a bunch of oaks. So while mm-hmm. I'm while I'm back here, I'm glassing up in the oaks. All right, are you dropping this year? You know, and uh and actually ended up finding some oaks that were really raining, you know, yeah. that time of year. And I found them just out on a out on a trout fishing trip you know? Yeah, man,
2: absolutely. I mean, just seeing—if say you're hunting nearby or anything like that. Like look what crops are growing in the fields. Look if there's, I mean, a random apple or plum tree that somehow made its way, you know, out there or whatever. I mean, yeah, yeah, you name it. Food sources, bedding, you name it. Yep.
1: Keep your head up. Oh, and this is another one too. I wanted to hit on this. So there's a, there's a spot close to me that I'll, I'll share the name of it with you after, after this uh, episode. <laughs> Uh, I was out fishing a a, a <clears throat> creek real close to me uh last I um, it may have been deer season already but it was a hot day and it wasn't mm-hmm. good for uh wouldn't have been a good afternoon to sit and I just didn't want to I didn't feel like sitting in 75 degree heat um and so I'm I'm fishing this little bank and I start coming across these oxbows with little willow patches in the oxbows yeah. and so literally yeah. as I'm as I'm fishing for trout like I'm scouting bedding And I'm finding, finding bedding and I find there's three little oxbows in this little Creek and the one right in the middle, like the second one had a bunch of rubs in it and a bunch of Mm -hmm. larger beds. I'm like, okay, there's, there's a couple of bucks using this early season, you know, and, uh, but I wouldn't have found it if I wasn't out there trying to scoop some trout out of the, out of the Creek.
2: Right. Yeah. Now that you mentioned it, I'm, I'm just like reflecting back. I'm, I'm in such a fish mindset and like just gearing up for Turkey right now. I haven't quite shifted into deer. So like, as you're saying <laughs> this, I'm like, dude, I do that all the time. I'm right there with you. Like, yeah, yeah. just finding that stuff. I mean, you'll, I found one that was like a, I mean, it was, it was an old cedar tree and it didn't have any lower branches, but it was probably as wide as a fence post that was just ripped up on some public. It was right I mean, probably 40 yards off of a, off of a trout stream. And I could, I looked up and I just saw this bright, you know, exposed trunk in uh, the middle of, you know, all the normal normal timber. I was like, okay. All right. So there's <laughs> there's something going on here for sure. Yeah,
1: Gonna take note of that. Yep. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff. All right. So that was, that was yours. Let's see scouting while doing other, other things or, you know, scouting for both. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about now my other lesson that carries over is, is patience and it matters. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Patience matters a, an absolute ton. Uh, where I learned that in the trout stream is I come up on a, on a really fishy looking spot and I'm like, that's the spot right there. And it's holding a fish. Like I, I know there's a fish there. And the first thing I do Is run up on this really fishy looking spot and cast right to that place that I think a fish is. And I watched the trout just scatter, you know, because I, that I, a bunch of fish that I cast over and I had no idea that they were there. I just wasn't paying Mm -hmm. close enough attention. So, uh, you know, I just, I just jumped straight to it. When in reality, I should have done, we just, we just recorded another podcast together. You talked about, you know, start with the water closest to you, kind of work your way across to the other bank, then kind of fan your way up you know, moving up from there, you know, and working your way towards the fishiest spot so that you don't blow out the hole or whatever it is while you're out there fishing.
2: Exactly. Much the same thing. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say on top of that too, I mean, when you're approaching water, like take a minute to just like stop before you even, you know, take your hook out of your hook keep or, you know, off your reel or anything like that, wherever you're storing it, just like give yourself like one minute to just stop and watch
1: because
2: if you can see fish in there, you know, that's, I mean, all the better because you can see like, okay, like, are they moving? Like, are they moving to food? Are they actively feeding? Are they rising to anything? Like, uh, if they're not, you know, and you know that, then no biggie. Then, like I said, you know, you do the the near to far fan approach and really, really work through all that water and, you know, it should yield the highest number of fish, but yeah, just. Like take not enough people take a minute to just pause and watch the water.
1: Yeah, and that's a, that's a really good lesson that I've I've picked up on uh, from watching the the THP guys and the yeah. way that they deer hunt. They do a lot of that hunting their way in. You know, mm-hmm. they're you see, and they constantly have their binos up. You know, they're, yeah. they're working their way in, especially if they're pushing in tight to bedding. You can just mm-hmm. watch them. Yeah, throwing the binos up, standing and watching, standing and watching, standing and watching. And actually, I was out last week doing a little bit of shed hunting and a little bit of scouting for last year or for next year. And I found some bedding just off of this little uh, hardwood ridge where it dips off into this, uh, into a really nice marsh area. And I get to the very first bed. And the first thing I do is whip out my phone because I'm like, ha, found a bed. I'm going to take some pictures, going to make a little video, show everybody how good of a scouter I am. Uh, this is going to be great. And as soon as I start talking, a deer gets up within like eight yards of me.
0: No kidding. Off. Yeah. It was, <laughs> I mean, it was
1: right in front of me and I'm, I'm in this tall marsh grass. So it's like, you couldn't, mm-hmm. you couldn't tell. I mean, it's the middle of winter, right. but, but there's marsh grass and red brush mixed together. So it's basically oh, yeah. an impenetrable wall at this point, you know, Yeah. and uh, the deer just gets up and run off and runs off and you can, so I'm making this video and I'm, you know, looking at my looking at my phone or whatever, and you just see my face just sink, you know, it's <laughs> <is> just like, <laughs> I got that close. And, but, but, you know, it bring that into the hunting season. Like oh, how yeah. often do we, how often do we lack patience? And so we push in further than we should have on the first hunt, you know, we mm-hmm. blow a spot out or, you know, especially for public land, for me, I have such this, if I don't get there and hunt that first, somebody else is. Yep. Mentality, and it causes me to push too far in sometimes. And oh, yeah. I, you know, and I don't know what the right answer is. Sometimes you do have to swing for the fences, but mm-hmm. man, I I stage hunted in to a spot this year, and um, I'm really really glad that I did. Um, it yeah. turned out really turned out really well. And had I not shot the smaller buck, it would have turned out really well uh, three days <laughs> later if I'd just been a little more patient. Uh, Yeah. So, again, there's that lesson. Patience really, really matters. So, uh, what's your next one?
2: I'm envious of you because I was on the opposite end of that uh, conundrum myself while I was in the stand this past uh, fall and was Uh really trying. I didn't want to be intrusive or anything, and I had two of my target bucks come in right past my other stand, and I was (laughs) – I, I was, I got, I panicked the night before, you know, and I, I hung, I, you know, I went in there, I hung a stand like that night and I was like, you know what? Like they're going to hit this scrape. I know they're going to hit this scrape. I've got camera pictures of them, like hitting this scrape for the past couple of days. It's on, it's going to happen. And they, I mean, I had one of my target bucks within 20 yards of me, but I didn't have a clear shot. So I was kind of <laughs> SOL, but <clears throat> I guess one thing that I also just thought of uh, when you were talking about shed hunting, um, a lot of times this time of year, especially, um, I'll be looking for deadheads. Yeah, so I'm doing winter, winter trout and stuff like that, especially down by those creek bottoms. Always peeking under fallen trees and stuff like that to see if there's, you know, a nice, unfortunate but fortunate for me, I guess. <laughs> yeah, find the antlers. Out.
1: You 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 finish the story on some deer if mm-hmm. you know if uh, if it's one you've got some some history with or one that you've watched oh, yeah. or something like that. Like it's better than just being like I don't know what happened to him.
2: Yeah, <laughs> but at the same time, dude, there is no better feeling than having you know I I rushed a shot, you know, was, and uh, this was in, in 2020, and just put a bad shot on one of my target bucks and ended up getting away. Um had a, a a broadhead brand which I will not name, but it was expandable and it did not expand and I got about four inches of penetration. I
1: bet I can tell you in the a brand. Spot
2: that Yeah, I thought you could do <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you that <laughs> and, off here too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean this this past year though, when we started getting more and more deer on camera and I saw this buck that was like I was like, wow, that's a the hell of a buck, and I looked on his you know high on his left side, and sure enough, there was a big scar on his in his fur where it was all his fur was all knotted up, and I was like, okay, so we made it, like really glad about that, but wow. I mean feel badly we, we wounded him obviously, and yep. all that, but I mean he I, yeah that was that was a nice resolution to that just sick feeling you get when you when you put a bad one on on a deer.
1: Yeah, man, it's the worst. I I did that this, this past year. And, um, the biggest deer I've ever shot by, by far. And he got away, dude. And I'm, I'm still, I'm still sick about it. Like I'm half tempted right now. I'm going to Turkey hunt that, that area just so I can walk through one more time. Oh yeah. yeah. (laughs) Just, just, just to see like, is he in here anywhere? Uh, I've already searched that area. Like, I don't know, probably 10 days, uh, worth of looking, you know, just every time it's like the, every time things change, like the first snowfall of the year, I was back out there to to look again Yeah, and the snow melted. So I'm back out there to look again, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But anyway,
2: there's no worse feeling. I'll take, I'll take snapping off a a trout over wounding a deer and losing them any day.
1: Oh yes, indeed.
2: (laughs) Um, I guess that's kind of a a nice segue actually into uh, my next point that I was going to mention. Just, I mean, just appreciation for the animal, Um, you know, bow hunting and fly fishing, especially here in the driftless where your casts are within, they're typically, you know, a max of 40 feet, 30, 40 feet. And within, I mean, you're, it's, it's a really, really uniquely intimate experience being able to watch, even if it's a, just a, little eight inch brookie. I mean, if it's native and it's in a foot of water or whatever to come up and just assault your little dry fly or something like <laughs> that. I mean, it's, it's just so much fun. And, you know, more often than not, those, those smaller, more native uh, fish, like uh, nine times out of 10, they got better colors than some of the big toads that are in there. And I mean, I've got, but yeah. <clears throat> I, sort of started doing more and more photography um, on the water over the past couple of years, but just I've gotten some of the best shots of just markings and colors on fish from these, these tiny little fish. I've got one that I, uh, I actually have it framed now. Um, it's a background on my phone as well. It was just this unbelievably colored up Brookie, but the thing was like seven inches. And wow. <laughs> wow. I don't know, I don't know how I got the picture, but <clears throat> I mean, just the, The appreciation that you have for the animal once you actually have one you know you get to put your hands on it but also just watching them do their thing i mean i i followed the uh the old hunting adage um that was that was pretty common amongst like the the guys that i hunted with like oh well you shot a buck this big last year you can't shoot anything smaller than that so i mean just the I, I put myself through a several year drought because I was really following that principle and sure. you know, kind of being self-conscious about the deer, which I'm, you know, I'm not afraid to admit, but I'm embarrassed by. Sure. And, uh, yeah. but I mean, at the same time, the amount that I learned about deer from just watching them do their thing and, you know, waiting for, you know, what in my mind was, uh, the right buck at the time to, to come by or <laughs> not come by during that drought. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, just like being able to sit there and just you know, that kind of goes back to stealth, but just being able to really be quiet and take your time getting in there and just getting to really watch them do their thing. I mean, that's, that, in my opinion, is, I mean, that's what it's all about, really. It's why you're out there, because, I mean, catching... Catching a fish or, you know, finally shooting a deer, like once your hands are on it, it's kind of over, you know, but it's, it's that pursuit. It's the, everything that leads up to it. That's really what it's all about. So yeah. I think really just soaking that in. And then once it, you do have one on your, you know, in your hands, just taking the time to really reflect and appreciate it is, I mean, you got to
1: <laughs> Yeah. That's, that's huge. I, I've heard I can't remember who it who it was that said it. It might have been Greg Litzinger who I had on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think it was him. I think he and Clint Campbell were talking at one point on on Truth from the Stand. And he said, basically, I learned a lot more from the bucks I let walk or from the Bucks that, that mm-hmm. you know got past me than I do from the ones that I shot. And I don't know if it was him that said that or not, but but somebody said that. You know, it was like yeah. Basically, I, I learn a lot more from the ones that, that I don't shoot. When I'm just watching deer do their thing, I'm just soaking it all in. I see how bucks act, you know, and I can, um, yeah, just sort of build up, you know, my, my knowledge of deer in general uh, rather right. than right. the buck appears, I shot it, now it's over.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, just being able to, and I mean, just on that, being able to, Look at you know what well, I guess if what well, I guess you could call a failure or when you're when you're out there and it doesn't quite work out, being able to reflect on that and be like, okay, why did that happen? And actually, yeah. kind of piece it together. And I mean, that's what makes you a better angler or a better hunter. I mean, just a better outdoorsman in general. It's just being able to really watch and like assess why they did that. Yeah, yeah.
1: All right. Well, I'm gonna jump on to jump on to my next one and I'm just going to do, I'm just going to do one more and then I'm going to let you do one more and we'll wrap it up after that. If that works for you, Um, you because I I'm looking at my, I had actually two and I think they both are super related to each other. Um, Mm -hmm. All prey species relate to really great cover, relate to cover Mm -hmm. and uh, the bigger ones get the better cover. Typically, you know, as sort of a general rule. And that, that has remained true. Um, you know, anybody who's hunted deer knows that to be the case. Um, but I found it to be the case when, when trout fishing, you know, Mm -hmm. I was out last year, we went out to Viroqua, um, you know, shout out to the Driftless Angler. Uh, if you're in the Driftless region of Wisconsin, you should stop by that, that shop. Uh, I also know a guy who guides, Good chance fly fishing. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Uh, oh, you know, yeah, he, that guy. <laughs> that, oh, that guy. But, um, <laughs> so I, but I, w- I was out there. I didn't know you at the time, so I'm out there with Driftless Angler, and, um, you know, we're fishing, and and the guide tells me, um, hey, do you see that log right there cast at that log? And so I try three times, and I fail each time, and I keep getting hung up, and the guy's just being super patient. He's like, no, nah, try it again. There's a fish in there. As so I finally get it up in there, and uh, an absolute just sea monster of a of a brown trout. I mean, it, it might as well have been Godzilla coming up out yeah. of the ocean. At this point, came out and took it. And you know, for the for the entire stretch of the of the stream that we fished that afternoon, that was the um, probably the best cover. There were some deep pools, and there were some other mm-hmm. you know brushy places and stuff. But this was the only one where there was like a, like a, a hole underneath this log kind of thing, Yeah, you know, really tucked back in there. And that's where we had the encounter with the, with a really big trout and mm-hmm. I didn't land it, but he was by far bigger than, than the rest of them that we'd been catching all day. Oh, yeah. Uh, and by far bigger than, you know, any that I had hooked previously, uh, <laughs> Except for on a the time I got to go on a private stream in Georgia. That's a whole other thing though. That was oh uh, yeah. That was almost not fair. <laughs> um, but same thing over in the in the white tail world, right? The, you know Absolutely. The, the, the animals, they're gonna love cover, they're gonna stick close to cover, and the biggest ones are gonna get the best cover. You know uh, of course. Yeah. I watched uh, I watched a um, I watched a little six point last year come in. Opening day of pheasant season. And actually the same morning I I rode that other buck and, uh, he came in and he bedded down, not very far from me. And I got to watch his sort of like bedding habits and I also Mm -hmm. got to watch as other bucks began to approach and he realized he might've been in the wrong bed, you know, (laughs) as these other bucks got closer and it was a little bit later in the morning, but these, this other larger buck starts to come over and that little six point gets up and moves out of that bed Mm -hmm. and moves over to some. Less desirable bedding where he was more exposed. Like I could see him yeah. clear as day. Whereas he'd walked up to the first little clump of brush and disappeared into a tunnel, you know, and it's like you wouldn't even know a deer was there. Well, you know, Big Daddy starts walking over and this little <laughs> six point's like, and I'm going to leave now. I'm walking over yeah. here. Don't mind me. I'll just lay down next to this tree and, uh, <laughs> you know, who cares? But, uh, that's
2: yeah, the best, getting to watch them kind of get that. Oh crap. Look on their face. <laughs>
1: that, that's exactly what it was. He was just like oh, yeah. this again. It's it like, it yeah. was like a middle schooler about to get his lunch stolen.
2: You yeah, know, exactly. Just like,
1: oh, this is not good.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's the reason though, why you, why you, you see those little six pointers and those smaller bucks, you see them more frequently than you do those real big, mature target bucks. Yep. I mean, they, have like you said, you said it perfectly they get the best cover and the other little guys are kind of SOL and the same applies to trout. I mean, like you said, that, that big guy was hanging out under, you know, clearly, clearly hidden underneath that, uh, um, you know, that log and, you know, it, but it also, you know, it serves as an ambush point for them. Yep. And I mean, if you're on the trout water or trout streams or anything, like, like you said, logs, stuff like that, particularly if they're like running parallel to the river, um, where they can, you know, those fish can have that lateral line exposed. They can have a little bit better line of sight. And also it covers them better Brown trout, especially, uh, they prefer some sort of an overhead cover so they can sit down underneath a log, like what happened with you, they're going to do it.
1: That's exactly what this one was doing. And, you know, I guess, uh, I guess other trout that would try to buddy up too close to this little spot. Um, Unlike this little six point, the little six point didn't have to worry about getting eaten by this other buck. But I guess trout are pretty carniv- carnivorous. I mean, they're oh, yeah. not carnivorous. Oh, yeah. What do you call that when they'll eat each
2: other? Right when the um, cannibalistic. Cannibalism- yeah. yeah. There, we go. there we go. Yeah, I mean, there the conditions got to be right for them. But I mean, yeah, if a big trout's got to eat, it's it's gonna eat more <laughs> well, often than not. It's gonna wait till. You know, low light, that's, that's typically when, when larger trout are going to be out feeding. Those bigger fish, they need more calories, so they're going to focus on more calorie-dense food um, in the form of small trout or sculpins, you know, little dace that are shooting around in there, crayfish, leeches, you name it. But especially once the light gets low, because when it is light out, you know, that say the sun's just beating down, you know, those tiny bait fish, they've got the advantage. They're more nimble, they're quicker, they can escape a lot more easily. But once that light goes down, their vision kind of goes down with it. But the trout, you know, a big brown, between using that lateral line and using its vision, I mean, if you're a small fish, go to look out.
1: Yeah, hey, look, man, there's another There's another. Uh, another connection there. Big trout and big bucks, they're all yeah. nocturnal.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, exactly,
1: but I'm not recommending you chase them both at night.
2: No, uh, no, try and stick to the water. Chase, at night. Yeah,
1: chase chase trout at night. That's fine. That's fine.
2: Well, let, let's he hear has your... something to do once you get out of the stand. Anyway,
1: that's right. That's right. All right, let's hear your last one before we wrap things up.
2: Uh, my last one was going to be just making the most of the limited time that the majority of people have. Yeah, that's um, good. Yeah, that's good. Being able to, I mean, YouTube is. I mean it's quickly become like just an information hub for just about anything. And I mean, that's, I mean, I, I used to do some freelance construction work and ended up taking on jobs that I didn't quite exactly know how to do, but thanks to YouTube, I got them done. So. That's
1: right.
2: <laughs> but uh, those days are long gone. Of course I didn't no, do that on anyone who's listening to this Is house, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think they'd be listening anyways, but not quite a, uh, the most outdoorsy people. Ah. But um, yeah, I mean like using YouTube and just like the internet as just the outstanding tool that it is reading books, um, just doing as much as you can to learn as much as possible while you're not in the field or while you're sitting at your desk at work and you want to have Onyx, you know, in a separate window and able to hide it quickly in case your boss walks by or
1: <laughs> <laughs> I may or may not yeah, have a real about that at one point. <laughs>
2: Oh, it's a serious problem. I, yeah, it's, it, I, honestly, more than with with everything, with all the people that got into, you know, outdoor recreation during the pandemic, I'd say the, uh, the number of people that were getting sucked into non-work-related <laughs> stuff while they were working from home is, I mean, good problem to have for the outdoor industry. But yeah, absolutely. I was saying I didn't have an earbud in listening to the THP guys or meat eater. Well, I was at work. <laughs> there you go. Or, or
1: the Wisconsin, or the Wisconsin sportsman, sportsman podcast, podcast. or yeah. the how to hunt deer podcast. Hey, you know, you gotta, you gotta throw. Yeah. If you're going to be mentioning the big boys like THP and meat eater, you gotta throw me into the conversation. Cause <laughs> you know, we all know, we, we all know it's getting too late. We have taken this too far. Uh, <laughs> when I start comparing myself to meat eater. You know, that we've gone off the rails. So, um,
2: Anyway, well, well, yeah, I, I was going to say just, you know, basically learning, using those resources to do as much research as possible. Um, while you're, while you're out, out of the field and stuck at home or stuck at your desk. And then when you're getting out there, like if you've got an hour and it's your only day to hunt that week, I mean, or fish, I guess like be aggressive. Why not? Like, it's, I mean, guys will say you're going to, oh, you're going to ruin your stuff. And I guess if you're owning public or private land, you're, you know, you might blow out your best stand if you do that in an hour and it happens to be the the wrong time. Um, or I guess the right time had you been a little more more careful, but, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean the same goes for fish. I mean, there's, there's days where it's like, okay, I've got an hour and I'm, you know, I just want to catch something. I'm going to, you know, just, you know, chuck streamers in deep pools. And that's going to be my strategy for, for the hour. I'm just going to pull out a couple of, uh, or try to pull out a couple of bigger fish and that'll be that. I'm just going to cover ground and chuck streamers where I think there'll be big fish and all that. But I been mean, doing that, but you mentioned, uh, Matt and Jerry at the Driftless Angler, you know, if you're a Driftless, uh, listener here, like check them out online. Cause their fish reports are phenomenal, especially for trout. Um, if you're going somewhere new, like read a hat chart, call a call a fly shop and, or I should say drop into a fly shop and, uh, ask those guys what's working, what's not, um, you know, and same with hunting, you know, be, be staying up to date on what phase of the rut you're in. Um, you know, have a game plan going in of like, okay, like I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get, try and get in close to a uh, bedding or, eh, I'm just going to sit back. It's, you know, Evening, I'm going to sit back on this evening food source and see if I can get something coming out to have a snack or anything like that. I mean, just be whatever is going to set you up for success.
1: Yeah, that's good. You know, they're, you know, keying in on like fishing reports and that kind of thing. He, work your network, man. Ask what other people oh, have yeah. been seeing, you know, um, find out if, if deer, are, you know, chasing early this year mm-hmm. or people have been seeing you know like like in my area specifically i know last year those that last week of october was dynamite for a lot yeah. of guys right here in our area and yeah. you know normally they'd be saying well that first week of november is going to be great well the first week of november wasn't that good mm-hmm. you know last week of october was great second week of november was great first week wasn't so great you know not so stay all. stay stay keyed in not at all yeah, stay, stay keyed in what's going on and you know potentially look at something like a, I don't know, I, I don't know if I buy into this stuff yet, uh, and perhaps I should do a whole episode on technology in deer hunting. But the whole Spartan yeah. Forge thing, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but basically mm-hmm. using uh, AI to predict deer movement based off of collared deer studies in your area.
2: Oh. So I did not hear about that. Yeah,
1: it's interesting to me. Um I have not looked at it yet. Um but I I have the app downloaded. So yeah. We'll see how it plays out next season. I'll keep an eye on it. So
2: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Definitely, uh I'm sure we'll be in touch between now and then, but maybe get those guys on this podcast and see what's what. but. But
1: and Pierce, thanks for your time uh, this evening as we've chatted about the connection that you can make or what you've learned, you know, from trout fishing. We can carry that over into into deer hunting. If folks want to find out more about you, where can they go?
2: Uh, we're on Instagram at Good Fly Fishing, or you can find us online just straight at the website at uh, goodchampsflyfishing.com.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, good conversation. Thanks for your time.
2: You bet. Thanks a lot, Josh. Have a good one.
1: Thanks for listening to today's episode. You can find more outdoor themed podcasts at sportsmansnation.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you download your podcasts.